Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And I like the scribe's answer. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other than he. Let's pray. Lord, help us now as we study your word this evening. Lord, open our eyes, open our minds to some things. Help us to know how to represent you well in the new year. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we looked at this morning is when we understand who the one true God is, the God of the Bible, that's the God that we worship, that's the God that we pray to, that's the God that we love with all our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the idea is if we love right, then we'll know how to live right, and then we'll know how to think right, and then we'll know how to work right. And I'd mentioned that we were going to attack the second commandment tonight, and so that's, that's one of the things I want to deal with. And the second is like, namely this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Um, one of the things that we run into, whether it's in child rearing, um, I remember I had somebody say to me one time that they love their children too much to spank them. How many of you have ever heard somebody say something like that? No, you love yourself too much to spank the child. Because the spanking is good for the child, right? And so if I love God and I love his truth, I love his word, I love his direction, then I know how to love my children. Then I know how to teach and raise my children. These are some questions that come up, and it's important for us to deal with these periodically. Questions like this, what the mind is asking reveals what the heart is believing. What the mind is asking reveals what the heart is believing. So for you young people, uh, you're going to have questions that, that your friends in school ask you. I remember when Pastor Nathan was in high school. He had a friend who was a Methodist, and he came to me, and he said, what does a Methodist believe? What, what, who are the Methodists? And so I spent some time talking with him about that. And the reason that the question was important to him was because this friend who's a Methodist um, had some theological questions that they were asking. And Pastor Nathan, of course, he wasn't Pastor Nathan then. He was just Nathan. And he was trying to figure out why would a Christian be asking that question? How many of you have ever experienced something like that? Well, it's because in a lot of, time, in a lot of cases, the churches just aren't teaching. I don't know if you saw on the news this weekend that the United Methodist Church is meeting and they're considering splitting because the, the Methodist Church itself has tried to take a stand on the LGBTQRZ quiet, if you can hear me, things that are going on. And it's going to split the churches. Why in the world would that split a church of believers? Right? 
So we as believers, and the idea is that if you really love your neighbor, then you will accept them just as they are, that you'll accept their behavior. That's the idea. And so what happens is questions come up. How could a loving God condemn people to hell? How many of you have ever heard that question? All right. So remember that the premise for this is if I remember that there's one God, that's the God that I worship, and I love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, then I know how to love my neighbor. So this question comes up when usually, well, let me, let me just do this and go on. Sorry about the font on this. Here is what the mind is thinking. Remember, what the, the, the mind is asking reveals what the heart is believing. And so the, the person who asked this question, the, the Christian who asked this question, how could a loving God condemn people to hell? They have this belief. A loving God should not condemn people to hell. That is proving that what they're believing is that condemnation is not loving. Okay? Now, greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. Then the Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So what's the answer? God does love, and God has removed the condemnation from those who love him. Right? Now, there's a simple statement in the Bible. God is love. All right? God is love. We only know how to love because God first loved us. That's the only reason we know how to love at all. What is condemnation? Condemnation is justice. It's what we deserve. The fact that condemnation is removed from us is only because God is love. That's the only reason that we are not condemned. Now, remember, the Bible makes it very clear. He that believes and baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not is condemned already. You don't have to wait. The first time you sin, well, you're condemned. Your sin condemns you. God does not condemn you. He removes the condemnation, the just desert that you would have for your sin, the justice that we deserve. God removes that because he's loving. But this question, how could a loving God condemn people to hell? This, what that's demonstrating is that the person believes, the questioner believes that condemnation is not loving. It also reveals that people believe this. The questioner believes this. People do not deserve hell. People do not deserve hell. And I got to tell you, that's our fault. The fact that people believe that, that's, that's Christians. That's the fault of Christians. I've said it over and over again. I was preaching for James Knox between my hotel and the church was another church building. Huge sign on the side of the church building that said, God's not mad at you. Liar, liar, pants on fire. God is angry with the wicked every day. And what removes that anger? What removes that wrath? The blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This concept, people believe that others do not deserve hell. What is the problem with that thinking? It's the wrong God. They're worshiping the wrong God. 
They believe that they are more loving than God, and we'll see that in a minute. What they're saying, remember, what the mind is asking reveals what the heart is believing. The person asking this question, what they believe is that they know what love is. They think that they know better what love is than, that, than, than God. You say, wait a minute, I don't know that they thought this through. Well, probably not. Probably not. But when, if I am going to stand in judgment of God and say that if God were really loving, then he would not condemn someone to hell. Then what I'm saying is, I actually know what love is more than God does. How many think that might be a little bit arrogant? Right? And that is the belief. People think they really know what love is, but you can't know what love is if you don't know God. Then they also are saying this, I am more compassionate than God. I care more for those people than God did. Well, you know what? You've got a great opportunity to to demonstrate that. Go and die for them. How many of you think the person asking this question is ready to go do that? See, these questions, we do not know how to love our neighbor until we love the one true God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And the only way we can do that is as he is revealed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one Lord. Then, this is another thing that they are believing. I do not think I should be condemned to hell because I am good. I'm a good person. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I'm a, I don't deserve this. I'm a good person. No, you're not. No, you're not. And, and you know, I know I've said this to you so many times, but it's really good for the young people to hear it again. Um, I had someone ask me, a local businessman, um, he had had a friend die in a motorcycle accident, and he was really upset about it. And he said, I've asked this question to every pastor I know in town. This was a good man. Why would someone like that die at such a young age? And so I rephrased the question for him. I said, basically, what you're asking me is why do bad things happen to good people? And he said, yes. And I said, would you like the answer? He said, well, that's why I'm asking. He said, I said, they don't. And what's, what's the right thing to say? There are no good people. When someone asks the question, why do bad things happen to good people? What they're believing is that there are good people. When the Bible says, look at Romans chapter 10. I'm sorry, it's Romans 3. Look at verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So when people have this idea, uh, I do not think I should be condemned because I am good. What the Bible says 
What the Bible says is there aren't any good people. Bad things don't happen to good people. Well, that's not really true. Bad things did happen to a good person. His name was Jesus. And that happened because we are not good. He took that penalty. He took that payment for us. So if I'm truly going to love my neighbor, I need to recognize that they need Jesus. Why? Because they're not good. And I need Jesus because I am not good. Only Jesus Christ is good. It's important that we recognize that. Here's another. How could a loving God condemn people who have never heard the gospel? Now, my sisters went to a Christian school, and their, their Christian school teacher told them that, um, that people who have never heard the gospel go to heaven because they're not accountable. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are all without excuse, right? That's what the Bible says. And it's sad that a Christian school, independent Baptist Christian school, would teach something that that is so, that, that is so clearly wrong. But when the mind is asking this question, how could a loving God condemn people who have never heard the gospel? This is what the heart is believing. Again, I am more compassionate than God. I am more compassionate than God. The questioner. They also believe that people deserve to hear the gospel. Now, this is a tough one. This is where we really need to get our heads around the truth. None of us deserve to hear the gospel. It's a privilege. It's a blessing. It's an act of grace. Now, that grace has been revealed from heaven to all men. The, The truth that we're sinners, the power and majesty of God, that's been revealed from the heavens. In our hearts, he's given us the conscience to know that we are sinners We know that we need to seek after the one true God. We know that. We know that. But this idea that people deserve to hear the gospel, that's not true. We deserve hell, every one of us. Then this is something else that the person who says that is believing. That God's required to tell them. God, you have to do this. God, you have... Who here can command God? No, but that's what the heart is believing. What the mind is asking reveals what the heart is believing. How about this? This is what the person believes who says, how could a loving God condemn people who have never heard? What they are believing is that God has not revealed himself to them. They're believing that God has not revealed himself to them. So let's look at it. Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God, look at what it says, revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Do you see that word revealed? From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Look at this. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. So when a Christian says that God has not revealed himself to them, that Christian does not know what the Bible says. So again, if I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that God that I'm worshiping is the God of the Bible, then my answer to my neighbor 
will be an answer from Scripture, not an answer from my emotion or an answer from my own intellectual capacity. They don't need to know what I think or what I believe. They need to know what God has said. Very important that we get this. Then, here's the, remember what the question is. The question is, how could a loving God condemn people who have never heard? Well, listen, the implication there is that God is doing something evil. I had somebody say, if, if, if when I die, there is a God, I'm going to spit in his face. Well, no, you're not. Amen? No, you're not. What are you going to do? You're going to fall flat on your face before a righteous and holy God. That's what you're going to do. And you're going to say, I wish I had believed. Because God has revealed himself to us. And this concept, it's, and remember, it's the loving people. When we did the uh, Ohio State uh, biblical response to socialism, we had a question and answer time. And the only pushback that I got at all was from a soft-headed Christian, from a soft-minded Christian who thought that my language was too harsh for these people. And so I, because I had called AOC stupid, and I said, well, here's the alternative. I could use Jesus' language, call her a dog, call her a whited sepulchre full of dead men's bones, or maybe like Peter, how when they hear the truth, they're like a dog returned again to their own vomit. I could call her a snake, a viper, maybe stupid's a little more gentle than that. I said, and here's the problem. Here's the other option. She's either stupid or she is the most evil person on the planet because what she is promoting, the socialism, the communism, the Marxism, the top-down government control of everything in your life, every time it's tried, what it does is it produces millions and millions and millions of deaths. It's interesting. The people, the soft-headed people that want to back someone like that for politics think that God is doing something evil when he gives people exactly what they have chosen. They've chosen to reject him. That's why people go to hell. Because they reject the truth and they reject the love of Jesus. And God is not doing something evil. He's actually giving them exactly what they have chosen. Here's another question. How could a loving God reject people based on who they want to love or on their sexuality? Do you see the way the question is asked? You know, who, who are we to condemn people for who they want to love? Barack Obama would say that all the time, for who they want to love. Here's what, so that's what the mind is asking. Here's what the heart is believing, that homosexuality is about love. Anyone who believes that does not know anything about the subject. Now, because of the audience here, I'm not going to go into detail about it. But the, but the number of partners is in the hundreds. That's not love. That's lust. That's perversion. It's not love. God's plan is one man and one woman as long as they both shall live. That's God's plan. Now, I understand humanity is real. People make mistakes. People have spouses that, do, that, that leave them or that cheat on them. And when that happens, biblically, that person is free to remarry. But that's not God's best for them. How many of you understand that's not God's best for any of us? It's because what Jesus said was because of the hardness of our hearts. That's why that that's allowed. But the best, God's best, is one man, one woman, as long as they both shall live. 
That's God's plan. Why? Because God knows what's best for us. He loves us. He loves us. What the heart is believing is that homosexuality is about love. And then what their heart is believing is that homosexuality is good. See, when God condemns something, it's not because it's good. It's because it's bad and it's because it's harmful for us. Now, I always have to, I always have to say this when we have this conversation. Do we want anything bad to happen to these people? No, we want good to happen to them. And what would be good for them? For them to repent and understand the love and grace of Almighty God and to understand God's plan for that person. And here's the kind of thing that people will throw at you. Oh, so you're going to make that you're going to make this guy marry a girl. No, I'm just going to tell him he can't have a guy. You're going to make that girl marry a guy. No, no, I'm just going to tell her he, she can't have a girl. Why? Because it's not good for you. It's not good for you. Amen. Now, I got to tell you, lots of people, the Bible says the Apostle Paul wrote it this way, as were some of you. God has, God has saved people who are in this lifestyle, in, in, this, in this, this, this sinful existence. He's delivered them from it. And they'll give you a godly testimony about how free it is to be rid of this sin in their life. But this idea that homosexuality is good, that's what people are believing when they ask this question. How could a loving God reject people based on who they want to love or on their sexuality? This is another thing that that person is believing. I am more accepting of differences than God is because our strength is in our diversity. That's what they believe. That's what they believe. I am more accepting of differences than God is. No, you're more accepting of sin than God is. You're more accepting of sin. How about this? They also believe, I know what's good for people. I know what's good for people. Um, you know, one of the... the differences in Grace Baptist Church and churches like us and other pretty much good churches is I don't know what you need. And I don't think I know what you need. That's why I preach the Bible. God knows what you need. The scriptures know what you need. Now, there are times as a pastor where I think something needs to be addressed and it's the right time to do it. Like today, we have taken this first Sunday of, of the new year to talk about giving ourselves completely to the Lord and pleasing Him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength so that we also know how to love others. When we know how to love others, we know how to reach out to our neighbors. We know how to do that. And it's, a, it's perfectly appropriate for a preacher to do that periodically. But for the most part, we go through a book of the Bible. You learn from God. You hear from God. How many of you have God has spoken to you in a service about something that I was not even preaching on? Why? Because God knows what you need. I don't know what you need. This, this questioner says, I know what is good for people. And I think homosexuality is good for people. Now, if Pastor Nathan is listening to this, and he does, he'll probably pull that clip and use that against me someday. He probably will. But this is teaching, I know what is good for people. Justin, where's Justin? Don't you dare. Don't you dare. How about this? The person who's asking this question, this is what they're believing. I am open-minded. Christianity is not. I am open-minded. Christianity is not. Well, do you know what that's saying? That's saying that open-mindedness is a virtue. Where in the world is open-mindedness about sin a virtue? Where do you find that in Scripture? See, the problem is these are people who claim to be Christians 
who are making these statements. If it's an atheist challenging you with these things, at least their questions match what an atheist would believe. When a Christian says these things, their very questioning is violating what Christianity is all about. And, you know, I always quote the Catholic Chesterton who said, an open mind is for the purpose of closing upon something solid. Otherwise, it becomes like the city sewer, rejecting nothing. And you understand that that's what modern Christianity does, is it rejects nothing. The Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing, saith the Lord. It's important that we understand what this person believes is they're open-minded and Christianity is not. How about this? They think that God is a bigot. People will talk about the Bible. God's a racist. You ever heard somebody say that? God's a racist. That, that was Christopher Hitchens' book, God is not good. God is not good. And I loved Frank Turek's response to him. He said, basically, the theme of Christopher's book is there is no God and I hate him. Fantastic. It's fantastic. Can I tell you something? God is not bigoted. God is loving. God is just. God is holy. And when God tells us that something is good, do you know what that means? It's good. When God tells us something is bad, do you know what that means? It's bad. How many of you know that your kids would eat Twinkies all day long if you let them? Right? Do you know what that means? They'll never die. <laughs> I, I, I think that's what that means. No, I don't think that's what that is. How many of you know that it's not good to eat Twinkies all day? Right? I heard, where's Isaiah at? I heard that a box of zebra cakes doesn't make it from the car into the house. Is that true? You cannot live on those things, Isaiah. They're bad for you. There can't be anything real in a zebra cake. I'm just telling you, there's no way that there's anything that is grown in plant life that is in that thing. When we tell our kids, you can't eat whatever you want, you need to eat what I tell you to eat, is that because we hate them and are bigoted? No, it's because they're kids and somebody needs to feed them properly. Amen? God's not a bigot. God loves us. He loves us. He sure hates sin, though. How about this? What do all these presuppositions have in common? So a presupposition is something you presuppose. It's, it's something that you're believing before you go into the situation. And they're demonstrated by the questions. What do they all have in common? They all come from a misunderstanding of love and compassion. And if we want to understand what love and compassion are, we have to get that from the Word of God. So, look at our text again. Go back to Mark chapter 12. <clears throat> Verse 31, and the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, and there is none other commandment greater than these. Um, I want to read something to you, and it's this. I, I wrote this a couple of years ago. Um When you, when you address Christians who hold the presuppositions that we were just showing, they'll say, I am worshiping the God of the Bible. I am worshiping the God of the Bible. So here's some questions that you could ask that person. Is your God holy? Is your God righteous? Is he the righteous judge? Will he condemn sinners to an eternal hell? Is your rebellion an abomination to him? Is your friend's homosexuality an abomination to him? And that is the word that God uses for it. 
Does your God hate sin? Is this the God you are worshiping? Some soft-hearted and soft-headed person may be offended because of the harsh language. I can imagine the response. What about God's love? Why must you focus so much on the negative? Because you cannot understand God's love, mercy, and grace until you consider his holy anger and righteous judgment. See, folks, we all have to be saved from something. You see, a person cannot be saved until they recognize that they are lost. That was one of the hardest things when I was in college in Tennessee. And and those of you who have lived down there, you know the culture is completely different than it is here. Everybody was a Baptist. And so I would ask someone about their eternity, and the answer was usually, well, I go to the Baptist church. My dad's a deacon. My mom's a Sunday school teacher. Those are the kind of answers that you would get. And I finally learned the best way to approach them, and it's the question that we use at the fair and when we teach evangelism. If you were standing at the gates of heaven and Jesus said, why should I let you in, what would you tell them? And so often you would hear, because I was baptized in the Baptist church, because I'm a good person, because I don't cheat on my taxes. And when Brother McCracken taught us how to lead people to Christ, when you ask that question, you're going to answer in your mind, saved or lost. So you ask that person, you're standing at the gates of heaven and Jesus said, why should I let you in? And you said, because of your blood. Because the only thing I have is you saved me. Yes, your, your death, burial, and resurrection. That's the only reason. What are you going to say in your mind when the person says that? Saved. When they say, well, I was baptized at the Baptist church, what are you going to say? Lost. Lost. See, it's very important that we understand that you cannot understand God's love, mercy, and grace until you consider His holy anger and righteous judgment. Many of our young people are not worshiping the God of the Bible. They are worshiping a God of their own making. We must teach them to diligent, we must teach them diligently to worship the God who is one Lord, the God of the Bible. With all that we teach you, young people, with all that we teach you, what are you hearing? How are you filtering the message when we tell you these things? I wrote this a long time ago. I want you guys to listen to this. I fear that you are hearing our message with the ears of the world that crucified our Lord. Because what happens, whether it's at school or through friends or through television, you get these, these mixed messages, that a message like mine that says that we must stand before a righteous and holy God and confess our sin to Him so that we can receive forgiveness. There are people who believe that that is a harsh and evil and mean message. It's not. It's a loving message. If you go to the doctor and the doctor says you have a cancerous mass and we have to take it out, is that doctor being mean to you? No, he's going to help you. He's going to take that mass out of you so that you can be well. We have something worse than a mass. Our entire being is sinful. But Jesus Christ loves us and he wants to forgive us. I fear that you are hearing our message with the ears of the world that crucified our Lord. What's the answer? Well, we need to love the God of the Bible. We must love the God of the Bible. I hope that's the God that you love. Amen? I hope that's the God that you love. And do you see how this morning's message is one side of the coin and tonight's message is the other side of the coin? See, man, I'm so thankful 
that we have a God who loves us. And when we worship the right God, the God of the Bible, and we love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, then we have direction. Then then we have the ability to live in this world in a righteous and holy way and have happy homes and and a, a good existence. The flip side of it is, man, there's a whole lot of people that call themselves Christians that are undermining the message of Scripture. And we must know how to answer them because we cannot truly love our neighbor unless we're loving them in truth. Amen? Then we know how to help them. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you don't tell us to love our neighbor first, that we love you first, and we love you in truth as you have revealed yourself.